you know, the Lord has really, really touched my heart. We're in um, a pretty precarious place in our nation. And as is the case, um, people are choosing sides. And, but no one is basically choosing sides based on personal knowledge. It's based on what we hear and what we see in the media. And the thing that concerns me is how um, we can be affected. It divides us in ways we don't need to be divided. America has a history of um, racism. Uh, that's very obvious. I'm a son of the South. I mean, I was born and raised in South Carolina. And, um, but a lot has changed over the years, and we need to be glad for the changes, but be honest about things that haven't changed. And I think um, we need to pray uh, for every community, for the uh, black community, or African-American community. See, it's got where you don't even know what to say anymore because of the polarization, even the terminology, but for the police departments and just, just for every, everyone involved. And so um, I'm grateful Stuart prayed. I'm grateful uh, for Shelley as well, but we need to be part, part of the solution. You know, when tragedies happen and haven't been around as a believer for many, many, many years now. Sometimes there's not much you can say. And when people ask, um, you know, or you, I've done funerals. I've done funerals for people who committed suicide. I've done funerals for people who died natural deaths. I've done funerals for people who died tragically. And one thing that I have realized is that you cannot easily say things to people that make everything all right. You can't do it. And even the Lord doesn't explain everything. If you're, he, he will explain some things, but if you're waiting on an explanation and if you're holding him hostage, you know, that's not smart. You just, you're just hurting yourself. But here's what Jesus did. He participated. That's heaven's response to tragedy. Jesus participated. And he participated in a way that was worse than any single thing that ever happened to another human being. He was the only, say that with me, the only, the only. righteous person who ever lived, who did not deserve judgment. The only one. In any community. And I, and I really do feel like one of God's um, thought processes about the Jewish nation was that through history they were despised. And I think in some ways, and I can't figure all this out, but in some ways it's a marvelous thing that the Savior of the world comes from a, dis a despised people group. I think, I think what that says is God's heart for every race, every tribe, you know, it talks about every kindred, tribe, and tongue, um, there in the book of Revelation who will be found, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, I was thinking about um, 
what, what kind of tragedies or what kind of national emergencies I've lived through in some of those I'm 65, uh, some of you are that, around that age, but a lot of you are not. Um, I lived through Martin Luther King's assassination and the riots that took place in our nation. And I lived through John Kennedy's assassination and Bobby Kennedy's assassination and Ronald Reagan's attempted assassination and the Watts riots and the Detroit riots and the, the D.C. Riots and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and so it's not a unique thing that we're we're facing national uh, crises. And what the nation needs is not people joining sides; it needs people that really will pray, that really will pray. See, um, I'm not a student of all this, but I understand what goes on politically. A lot of these things are political footballs. And and politics is about control. Um, When people commit crimes, and I'm not saying politicians are criminals, but when people commit crimes, their characteristics to the crime, they have to have opportunity, means, and motive. And so when you're trying to understand what goes on in a criminal situation, you look for those three things. Well, when you... Um, are interested in who benefited from terrible business transactions, you need to look for the money. Well, in political things, you need to see who's going to gain what kind of control. And that's what concerns me is the loss of um, individual liberties and individual controls in the nation. So if I were you, I would pray for the reality of the separation of powers, The foundation our government was built on, the three distinct branches that have three distinct um, privileges and responsibilities, would, would be normalized, and that peace and grace and mercy would flood our nation. Yeah. That things don't just become political footballs. And I think, honestly, I think a lot of politicians don't know how else to do it. No, you know, no one really has answers for this in Washington or Raleigh or Charlotte or my house. It's above my pay grade. But I do know this. I can love people I run into. I can re- reach out to people I know. I think Heidi Baker says love looks like something. You know, we will give our lives for huge ideals that we have nothing to do with. You know, that's, that's the tricky part of being zealous. But who are you going to love? Who are you going to reach out to? Does that make sense? Okay. That wasn't what I was going to speak on today, but I felt like it needed, needed to be addressed. I can, I can remember um, how afraid I was during that Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, we came like minutes away from nuclear war with... Uh, former Soviet Union. But we got people that can pray. Yeah. We got people that can pray. We got people that can be kind. Yes. And I think that's that's what we need. I'm not going to get to all this, but let's let's read these verses in the Bible. Why don't you stand up and let's put this over here. I want to talk about Zacchaeus today. And we are in our shortened version of Queen City Church. Hey, listen, all the air conditioning ducts have been hung. The units are on the roof. 
the plumbers are coming back next week. The masons are coming back next week. The carpenters are coming back next week. We're getting closer and closer. I don't think we'll be in there in two weeks, but maybe four. Anyway, pray for that. Will you please pray for that? And then when you get through praying, will you pray for it again? Pray for the inspectors that even if the stuff's not exactly right, they'll go, oh, that's good enough. (laughs) As long as it's not dangerous. Okay. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. I must must stay at your house. Jesus was under orders. Okay, next verses here. We got... So... He made haste, came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, yeah, there they are. There they are. The them, the theys. You know that's who causes all the trouble in our nation? Them. Oh, sometimes we're them. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. What's assumed there? They're not, he is, right? Bad assumption. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay. Have a seat. I've wondered, um, when Jesus looks at somebody, what does he see? I was thinking about that the last couple of days. When Jesus looks at somebody, what does he see? Um, We know, book of Romans, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. But when Jesus looks at people, what what does he really look at? What does he see? Do you know if you get in the right situation with the right amount of light and stand directly in front of someone and look into their eyes, you will see your reflection in their eyes. You'll see your reflection. So when you look at them, you see yourself. Say that with me. When you look at them... You see yourself. Now that's good or bad. If you're bad and you look at them, you see yourself. Oh, this is, this is, 
if you're good and you look at them, you see yourself. Romans 2.1 says, you that judge do the same. What does that mean? It means you look at them and you condemn what you see them doing, but you're looking through the eyes of your self. What if unforgiveness is actually you not forgiving yourself through what you see other people do? Why is it that it says, um, Our Father who art in heaven, how be your name, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily breath, give us our blood, forgive our debts as we forgive. What if the forgiving of other people's debts is actually part of you being a forgiven and forgiving person? So when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, what did he see? I, I got to thinking about this because um, I was thinking about Nathaniel in the first chapter of John. And Nathaniel in the first chapter of John, I uh, believe Andrew, Jesus is fresh on the scene. He just has a couple of people that believe in him. One of them, um, uh, there was Philip. Actually, Philip finds Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now that is amazing. They have been looking for this man for hundreds of years. And suddenly, Philip, who's apparently been a disciple of John the Baptist, I think actually, comes to a friend of his, Nathaniel, and says, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one we've been looking for. We've been, we have found the one that, uh, the son of David, we have found the one who's going to turn everything around. And it's going to be amazing. And so Nathaniel says, um, well, tell me about him. He said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Man, nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. Well, then later, right after this, Jesus meets him, Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel has just said something not too good about Jesus. But Jesus sees Nathaniel coming and says about him and to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. So when Jesus sees Nathanael, he sees beyond anything negative and begins to see who Jesus knows he can be when he's connected with Jesus. And so Nathanael says, how do you know me? And then Jesus basically says something really strange. He says, before Philip called you when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. Well, who knows what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. He could have been praying. He could have been pouring his heart out to God. He could have been doing anything. Or it could have meant that Nathaniel said what he said about Jesus to Philip under the fig tree. And Jesus, by word of wisdom, word of knowledge, heard what Nathaniel said about him. 
But here's what one guy writes that Jesus actually uh, was saying. When Jesus looked at Nathanael, he said, Would you see a guileless, true-hearted Israelite whose one object is to be right with God, to be taught by him and be led by him? This is he! Now, when everybody looked at Zacchaeus, now who was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was apparently a very short Jewish man who'd become a chief tax collector. And a chief tax collector was like a Nazi sympathizer. Earth the Robin. Nazi sympathizer in Paris during the Nazi occupation. They were hated. Because they were collecting money for Rome. And they were Jews. So they were traitors. So they hated him. You read earlier when Jesus said, I'm going to go eat with this guy. The whole town murmured. And from what I've read, Jericho had as many priests in it as Jerusalem did. So here's the picture. Jesus is going through Jericho and he decides to stay with the most despicable person in town according to people who thought they were very righteous people. And they didn't like it and Jesus didn't care. Because when he saw Zacchaeus who had climbed up in that tree, when he saw what was behind Zacchaeus' problem and character flaws and deception and even defraud. He says to him, I have no other choice but to come stay with you. Jesus takes like this royal incentive or imperative and says, I'm staying with you. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. I think that's amazing. What does Jesus see when he looks at you? Does Jesus like you more than you do? You've got to like what Jesus likes. You, You should, you know, if you don't like what Jesus likes as much as Jesus likes it, you got real problem. Particularly if it's you. When you look in the mirror, do you think that is, that is a really awesome person right there? Or do you look at your chin and where your hair used to be or what's sagging, what's firm, whatever? What do you see? How do you, how, really? Really? Can you afford not to like yourself to the degree that God likes you? One of the things that struck me was Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Do you know how many people? Do you know how many people lived in Jericho? Hundred thousand. How many times had ever Jesus had Jesus ever been to Jericho? Never. How 
How did he know Zacchaeus' name? Why do, you th- why do you think Zacchaeus' heart opened up? Jesus looked at a person he'd never seen before, a person he naturally knew nothing about, called his name out. This man, this little man, this little man who'd been stealing from his countrymen, who was hated by his countrymen, who had probably heard, you know, there's a tax collector on Jesus' staff. You know, Jesus told this story about a sinner and a tax, a tax collector and a Pharisee, and Jesus landed on the, on, the, on the sinner's side. He sent the Pharisee packing. You think Zacchaeus had heard about that? Yes. You know, people, particularly in the Old Testament, named their children based on their the hope they had for them. Do you know what Zacchaeus' name means? Pure, innocent. And he was neither. But when Jesus saw him, when he looked at him, he could see what he had potential for. And he loved that man. He loved that man. The Bible says that uh, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. You know, I don't have enough time to really develop this, but you know, how, how does Jesus, it doesn't say he, he seeks, he, he's looking to find people. He's not seeking to find people. He's seeking to save people, to seek and to save that which is lost. How does he save that which is lost? He saves your lost dreams, not just you, not just some just as I am without one plea marching down to the altar at Billy Graham, and that's it. No, he saves your dreams. He seeks to save your hope, your lost hope, your lost ideal, your lost enthusiasm. He comes to save every single thing you have lost. And the trouble is many people are lost. They don't even know they're lost. They're so lost they don't know they're lost. He seeks them out. He looks for him. How many of you have lost hopes? How many of you have lost dreams? How many of you have lost your health? How many of you have lost some of your... I've lost like hard drive. If you come tell me your name, I might have known you a hundred years. There is no guarantee I'll say and remember your name ten minutes later. No guarantee. Because there are some things I've lost I want him to come save. Who saves what we've lost? I don't say, I can't save myself. I can't save what I've lost. I can't somehow make myself better. I can't somehow make a decision uh, that's that's going to, to just make me somebody I'm not. But I know someone who can. Let's do this. How many of you have lost a dream? Just stick your hand up. Come on. Close your eyes. What have you got to do? How many of you have lost some hope? How many of you have lost health? How many of you have lost something you know you should have back, but you can't by yourself get it back? Jesus can get that back. Let's do this. I guess we have ministry teams today, do we not? We're going to pray for people right over here, but let's do this. We need to respond. Here's what I want you to do. If you have lost part of yourself... Maybe you've lost money. 
I believe the Lord wants to get that back. Lost inheritances. I believe the Lord wants to get that back. He wants to get back everything we lost. If you have lost something, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray together to the person that saves what was lost. I've lost some stuff. I'm getting up. Come on. Do you know uh, how prayer works the best? It's not when I pray. It's when we pray. How many of you know how to pray? Okay. I'll give you a very simple model prayer for your particular problem. You fill in the blanks. You will say this. Lord Jesus, you save. I'm asking you to save. And just name it. Everybody ready? You want me to go with that again? I forgot what I said, what I said. <laughs> Lord Jesus, <laughs> you're the one who saves. I have lost. Name it. I'm asking you to save that thing. Okay, on your mark. Now, don't do it out loud. Come on. Don't be. You're in a bar praying. You could take your shirt off and run through here and pray and be all right. You mark, get set, go. Okay, let me help you. Lord, you're the one who saves. Let's say that together. Lord, you're the one who saves. I can't save myself. I can't save myself. I can't save my stuff. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to save... Then say it. <laughs> He's listening. He's listening. You pray saying, not thinking. He don't want to read your mind. He wants to hear your voice. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Lord. Lord, save my knee, save my hip, save my metabolism. <laughs> Lord, I want to be able to eat whatever I want and not gain weight. Save that. That's big faith right there. Amen. Amen. Okay. Nobody tell Andy I went six minutes over. Have a great week. If you need prayer, please come forward. Amen. Yeah, let's clap. Let's praise the Lord a little bit.